Well, you sound like you believe it. He is alive. Do you believe it this morning? The work of the cross is finished. And on this glorious Easter morning, we've sung it over and over and over again. He is alive. The abundance of flowers fills the room. The fragrance of flowers, when you walk in this place, smacks you right in the face and smells like life. The fragrance of life because he is alive. All over the world this day, there are Christians, whether they are genuine or pretenders, who are gathering together in crowded church buildings like this one, like no other day of the year. Some of them truly know it to be true. He is alive. Some, frankly, think it's completely absurd. And some are in the middle. They're not sure what they think about it. They'd like to understand it a little bit better. But all of them are in church buildings like this this morning because he is alive. I loved one little line from our cantata this morning. Well, I actually loved all the lines from our cantata, but I loved one in particular. When the narrator said, impossible, you say. Surely impossible must be one of God's favorite words. And impossible may be the very word you use when the topic of the resurrection comes up. You may think it bunk. You may think it, uh, the fact that his grave was empty on that first Easter morning, it's just plain impossible. You may think you're too scientific for those kinds of things. But whether you believe it or not this morning, hear me, he is alive. He is alive. Those of us who are born again know it to be true. And we hope and pray today that you could have that same level of assurance. He is Alive. I want to draw your attention this morning, in just a few minutes, to three simple truths, the things that we just sung about. And as I thought about my sermon this morning, I almost thought there is simply no reason to preach today, because that cantata presented the gospel so clearly and so plainly. But I want to draw out just three simple truths that were proclaimed. Number one, the work of redemption is finished. Number two, the life of the Savior was given. And number three, the empty tomb is the proof. Those three things, just for a moment. First of all, the work of redemption is finished. You know, Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us that right before Jesus gave up his life on the cross of Calvary, he said something, and he said it very, very loudly. Matthew said, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Mark said, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed. His last, so says Luke. So what was it that Jesus said so loudly? What was it that Jesus wanted to say loud enough that all could clearly hear? What was it that he was unwilling to whisper but needed to shout with the voice of triumph? What was it that came on his lips not as the feeble whisper of a dying man but as the shout of victory? John chapter 19 and verse 30 tells us it is finished. Shout it. That phrase translates a single Greek word, the word tetelestai. It's a word that's rich in meaning. It means so much. It means to complete. It means to fulfill, to end, to make something happen, to bring something to fruition. It was used to indicate the payment of a debt. Tetelestai, written across a bill of sale, meant paid in full. Jesus on the cross said it is finished. His last word before returning to his father shouted for all to hear to tell a sigh. It is finished. The task of redemption was complete. 
the debt of sin was paid in full. How many of you like to keep lists, to-do lists, those sort of things? I'm kind of a list freak. I like to-do lists. And I like to check off when I've completed something. I read somewhere that the very simple act of checking off something on your to-do list sends endorphins to your brain. And so I tend to, even if I, if I don't have something on my list and I get it done, I write it on my list anyway just so I can check it off. <laughs> so endorphins go to my brain. Can you imagine the rush that creation felt? Imagine how all creation rejoiced to know that redemption was finished, that it was accomplished, that it was done. It is finished. Jesus' work of redemption is complete. He has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was made sin for his people. He suffered the penalty their sins deserve. The work of atonement is Complete. The debt of sin is paid in all. And now we sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It is finished. God's perfect justice is satisfied. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Big word means satisfaction. He has satisfied God's justice. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. It is finished. Sin is no longer just covered up as was the case in the Old Testament sacrifices, as lamb after lamb and bull after bull and goat after goat was sacrificed, the blood simply covered sin. But now it is taken away. John said when he pointed at Jesus one time, John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is finished. Sin was dealt with once, remains dealt with for all time. Now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. It is finished. It stands finished. And it will be finished forever. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame, bore the wrath, and we stand forgiven at the cross. Everything that needed to be done to deal with your sin and mine was done. Finished at the cross. Number two, the life of the Savior was given. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. We heard it this morning in the cantata, did we not? The cross of Christ was no accident, and Jesus was not a helpless victim. His last words from the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Think about that. It's an amazing statement. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. The more we ponder it, the more so it becomes. Hear me now. Jesus was not killed at the hand of somebody else. He was not killed. Nobody took his life. Pilate said to him one time, are you not speaking to me? He said, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. In other words, you don't have power to kill me. You might think you do, but you don't. He was not killed by others. His death was voluntary. His death was a sacrifice. His death was a choice. His choice. He gave himself for us. 
Galatians 2.22 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, no, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ephesians chapter 5, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. And offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Think about that. Think about the import of those words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was not killed. But rather he purposely, willfully, voluntarily gave his own life. He chose to die. He had made an amazing claim earlier, and I think this was in our cantata this morning as well. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Life. He said, I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it back again. What a claim. That's an amazing claim. Many who thought, who heard that must have thought to themselves, well, this is just nuts. This is just absurd. This guy's crazy. Nobody has the power to die. And then once they are dead, to be undead. Nobody can become alive again. But that was Jesus' claim. I can lay down my life. And I can take it up. Again, in that first part of that claim was proven here on the cross when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, and then said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. Amazing. He died on command. Amazing. He had said I had power to lay it down. And here he showed that to be true by simply bowing his head and dying on command. Do you see it? He did that for you. He died voluntarily, gave his life for you. He was not forced into it. He could easily have avoided it. As the hymn writer said, he could have called 10,000 angels to defend him from it. But he chose to die. He chose to give his life for you. Number three, the empty tomb is the proof. The empty tomb is the proof. Paul said in Romans chapter 4 that Jesus was delivered up for our offenses and raised for our justification. That tomb, which was empty on that first Easter Sunday, is the proof, it's the validation of everything else that he had said. Somewhere around 2,000 Easter Sundays have come and gone. And the tomb, which is, by the way, still empty, and has always been empty, and always will be empty, is still the proof. I have been privileged to go to the Holy Land three times, and if the Lord does not come back between now and June, we're going there again, taking a few with us on another pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And while we're there, we'll stand and we'll gaze into the garden tomb. We'll step across the little track there where the stone rolled. We'll step inside the coolness of that tomb that's carved out of a rock. We'll look at the place where he laid. 
And every time I look at that place, every time I stand there and I look around in awe at what must be the most wondrous place on the face of this earth, I hear the words of the angel saying, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. You know, anybody could have said he was dying for my sins. Anybody could say it. Anybody could yell it is finished, proclaiming that they had somehow paid the debt of my sin like Jesus did. But frankly, I'm unaware of a single person on the face of this earth who ever did those things and then proved it by defeating death and rising from the dead. Only Jesus. He is risen. He is alive. And on this glorious Easter morning, we gaze in wonder at the empty tomb. And we know it proves everything else Jesus ever said and everything else he ever did. The resurrection is the undeniable proof. It's the validation that when he said it is finished, he was speaking the truth, and it is finished. It wasn't just words. The resurrection is the undeniable proof that his claim to be able to give his life for you and then take it up again was not just a false claim. It was true. It was genuine. He is risen. It's glorious news. Suddenly, one morning, the stone was rolled away, and an empty tomb proclaimed, He's alive. The sting of death has been denied. The Lord of life, once crucified, has risen. Suddenly, He's alive. I read a story that years ago, Bill Hybels shared, how he'd seen a newscast about a, a big parade, a big Vietnam Veterans Parade in Chicago. Part of the commemoration was a mobile version of the Vietnam Wall, and some of you may have seen that. I recall volunteering one time and helping at a display of that mobile wall. Like the original, it bore the names of all the soldiers who had died in Vietnam. Heibel said that one newscaster asked a vet why he had come all the way to Chicago to visit this memorial and to participate in the parade. And the soldier looked straight into the face of the reporter and with tears flowing down his face said, because of this man right here. And as the soldier talked, he was pointing to the name of a friend that was etched in the wall. And he traced the letters of his friend's name in the wall. The soldier continued to answer the reporter by saying, this man right here gave his life for me. He gave his life for me. And as the news clip ended, the sobbing soldier let the tears flow as he stood there tracing the name of his friend with his finger. My friend, there is one who gave his life for you. The choir sang about him. And I've tried this morning to, set, to retrace his sacrifice for you so you would see it. And if we have succeeded at all in helping you to see the truth about Jesus today, that he did indeed give his life to pay in full your sin debt, and then he proved it by rising from the dead on the third day, if we've succeeded at all in helping you see that, then there must be a question on your mind. There must be the question, what should I do? What should I do? And the answer is so simple that most people stumble over it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. 
He did all the heavy lifting. He wiped out your sin debt. He finished the work of your redemption. He gave his life for you. And then he rose from the dead to prove it for all time. And oh, I pray this morning that you will believe him and receive him today. Because it is finished. His life was given. And now he is risen. Just as he said.